This is Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it toward its true principles of democracy. This special episode is being released on Wednesday, August 24, 2022. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. In today's special Wednesday edition podcast, we'll talk with the Missouri State Coordinators for the Forward Party, Lisa Douglas and Blake Ashby. But first, a message from the League of Women Voters. You know, I found a great resource online from the League of Women Voters. It's called Vote411.org. Check it out. They have a wealth of nonpartisan information about the candidates and issues that you will see on your ballot this November. Again, that address is Vote411.org. And speaking of voting, do you sometimes feel that your vote doesn't count? Because with all the money dumped on some candidates, it's difficult for the candidates without a lot of money to get noticed. And you know how it goes, those with the money get the attention. It's an unfortunate fact of politics in this country that money injects corruption into our government. And if you're concerned about it as I am, then join Move to Amend. Move to Amend is an organization dedicated to passing a constitutional amendment to end corporate rule and the corrupting influence of big money in elections. Join Move to Amend and help create a movement toward a true democracy that serves all the people, not just the rich ones. You can find Move to Amend online at movetoamend.org. We're here today with Lisa Douglas and Blake Ashby, who are the state coordinators for the Forward Party in Missouri. Lisa, hello. Hi, how are you? Good, good. And Blake, how you doing? Hi, Dan. Pleased to meet you. So we're meeting in downtown St. Louis here. I have all the uh, studios set up inside of, a, inside of an office here, and it's um, just having a, a great time talking about the Forward Party. Can you provide us with a brief history of the Forward Party, you know, what it is, who created it, and why it exists? Let's start with you, Lisa. Okay. Well, the, the Forward Party the recent was recently announced in the last month as a merger of three organizations. One was the Serve America Movement, one was the Renew America Movement, and the, the Ford Party. Um, what's interesting about the genesis of the organization was the Serve America Movement is a, is a centrist organization. It, 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 it supported Republicans, uh, Democrats, and Independents, where the Renew America Movement was a right-center organization, and Andrew Yang's Forward Party was a, a left-center organization. And over about a year ago, they started meeting and, and realizing how much they had in common and, and their values and, and what needed they saw were some of the problems and some of the opportunities for a party like the Forward Party. And and um, that's where it, we are today with the, the new Forward Party. Okay. And um, in your words, Blake, why does it exist? Why does the Forward Party exist? What's the need for it out there? Uh, you know, I just think there's this growing sense of frustration with Americans right now. Uh, both of the political parties have kind of spun off the rails to a degree, you know, each in different directions. And, and we've got these problems facing our country. And there is literally no problem we don't have an answer for. But most of the answers are hard and require some kind of compromise. 
And so instead of working together, the parties really just pulled to the extremes and focused more and more on on their extremists and, and winning elections with their extremists and leaving the middle kind of vacant. Right. Why do you suppose, just off the cuff here, why do you suppose that they've gone to the extremes? I mean, what what sort of mechanism is, is in play out there? Either one of you want to bite at this one here? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, part of it's that, uh, you know, the people that are the fiercest believers also tend to be the biggest contributors and biggest workers in a political party. Mm-hmm. And so it is the people that absolutely love Donald Trump that will camp overnight and do whatever they need to do to support the cause. And the same thing for the Bernie Sanders people. And so that's part of it, right, is that if you're a normal person, you spend most of your time thinking about your life. If you're an extremist, you spend a surprising amount of time thinking about your extreme. And that energizes you and that helps you get out and knock on doors and things like that. But at the end of the day, that's not a a policy position you can move forward with. The extremes do not reach compromise and we need compromise. And, And because of that, the two primary system plays into that process as well. Um, you know, the, the, the folks that come out to the primaries are the ones that are the most politically motivated. And it's not really the centrists that, that wind up being able to be led into that part of the democratic process. Yeah, I think that, that actually is a, is a very good point because not only are people in the primaries the ones that are actually um, the ones that are, only ones that are voting during the primaries, but the primaries are almost... Uh, are almost a, a real election in a way because 80% of the districts out there, from what I understand, are considered non-competitive. So whoever wins the primary wins the general because of gerrymandering. Right. We see that here in Missouri, how many un- uncontested um, elections that we'll have here at this fall. Yeah, yeah. I actually live in one of those districts too. So there's been a lot of third parties in our past and no doubt there's going to be a lot more in the future, but they never seem to traditionally get that much traction, at least not in terms of getting prominence within uh, or gaining a lot of votes out there. Uh, they do have some effect on, on uh, politics but because they can pull the parties with them and the major parties with them, but they never seem to get much traction and it, they're, they're largely ignored by the media, it's been my experience. Uh, in fact, the only time the media ever gives them any attention is when they screw up. I mean, you remember, Ralph remember Nader. well, Ralph, not only that, I was talking more about like Gary Johnson in the 2016 campaign. Oh, yeah. you know, what is Aleppo? I mean, that was, you know, he's libertarian uh, for president. What What is Aleppo? I mean, but, you know, the, the normal party leaders can screw up like that. And the media either A, ignores it or B, just papers over it the next day with more stuff. And third parties never get a second chance. So what's the plan uh, from the forward party to be taken seriously by the media and ultimately by the people? Uh, Go ahead, Lisa. So uh, one of the core core processes we plan to enact is we're focusing on local elections. So, you know, the, the thought is, if we get the foundational built across the country with the local candidates, that, the, that are intimately involved in their communities, then that's how we make it grow so that at the point where we do become a national party and, and have national candidates, we have a, a broad base of people um, in, throughout the country through our local candidates and local elected officials. Yeah. 
Anything to add to that, uh, Blake? Well, I think that's really it. I mean, in the United States of America, you have to win elections. And it's harder to start at the top. It's easier to start at the bottom. You know, as we said, there are literally tens of thousands of qualified people who would be a great school board member or a great local counselor, uh, council member. But so that's it, right? We have to start at the bottom. We have to get the the people that care in elections and winning elections. And what will happen over time is those people will slowly filter up. Somebody will realize that, hey, you've been a great council person for Florissant. Why don't you run for the Missouri House or the Missouri Senate or you've been a great senator in the Missouri Senate, why don't you run for the National Senate, for the U.S. Senate? And that really is it. You know, you start at the bottom, you get good people involved, you stick to your core mission, and over time, if you do it right, you can actually build a party. What do you think about, uh, when you think about local, though, is that like, um, you know, county council, city council, or something like that? But how about like a state representative or a state senator? Is that considered local still? I think any candidate that can be close to their community and live in, and really work in their community and understand the issues of their community, that's who we're looking for as officials here, as um, uh, candidates in this first foundational building. There's a there's a statistic that there's over a half a million elected positions across the country. And that's where we're focusing on those, especially those in local races that are uncontested. That's that's where we think we have an opportunity to build from the grassroots up. Okay, good. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot of uncontested districts out there, and I did have some conversations with some of the local leaders in the Democratic Party here as to why that is. And and the answer I got back was um, it's really hard to find people. And so that's got me uh, a little bit concerned in the sense that um, hopefully the forward party will be able to find some people. Uh, But another thing I noticed, and this is my personal experience, when I talked to this individual who was one of the uh, county uh, leaders for the Democratic Party, Uh, I said, well, I might be interested in running for this open position because there's no other Democrat going for it. And he says, I I says, what do I do? What's the first thing I do? He says, well, you're going to have to raise some money for us, you know, go out to fundraisers and stuff. And I'm like, (laughs) immediately I said, no, I I mean, let's talk philosophy or something first. But but um, okay, well, good. Do uh, you have anything else to add to that, uh, Blake? Uh, you know that's it, right? It's going to be a hard task. But uh, I, I really do think we're at a time in our country where there's so much frustration with what's going on. We've got a chance to pull those people in. And unlike the Democrats or the Republican, we're not going to lead with, you've got to bring us money. We're going to lead with, you've got to be a rational person who believes that all Americans are have a right to offer their opinion. And we can find a compromise that does advance our country. So speaking of that, I'm, I'm calling this question the hill within. It's a hill that you have to climb. And my understanding is that, that the forward party, as you said, was created through a merger of three entities, the SAM party, the, uh, the um, Renew America movement, and the forward party as it originally stood. Uh, I guess that was Andrew Yang that, that uh, started that party. But they all come to the table with these different philosophies. They all have different opinions about things. And um, how, in this case, how do you... How do you get everyone to work off the same sheet of music at this point, though? Because you had so many diverging opinions. So there's three guiding posts that the Forward Party has presented as as where we are focusing the general values. The free people, we need to revitalize a culture that celebrates the difference. An individual choice rejects hate, rejects hate and removes barriers so that we all can rise to our full potential. Thriving communities, meaning 
a flourishing economy and open society that we give everybody an opportunity and safe places to live and work and vibrant democracy. How do we change democracy so that we reform it so that we have more choices in elections and more representative democracy? How do we fill those 70,000 uncontested places of, of, uh, of being elected mm. throughout the, the country? So that's really where the focus is. Um, with regards to how that, that relates to um, being all on the same sheets, that's going to be the guiding principles. And then um, if we say that every person represents their community, their issues, that means that we'll get the issues to come from the ground up. Any question or any anything to add, Mike? Yeah, and you know, and uh, the local angle really is the key to this. Uh, the 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 bigger the scale, the harder the questions. Mm -hmm. And so, if you're running for a school board uh, position, you know, you probably aren't going to spend much time thinking about global warming because you have nothing to do with global warming. Right. And so, part of this is that we want the questions to match the the level of the candidate. And really what the forward party is trying to do is to essentially create guardrails and say, as long as you're within these guardrails, you know, as long as you're, you know, people centric, as long as you, you know, believe in thriving communities and vibrant democracy, you can do a lot there. You don't necessarily have to support ranked choice voting, but if you do, that's fine. But we would hope that you would support uh, means to make sure that everybody has access to the vote. You know, and so if you think about it, within the extremes of any issue, there is usually a pretty broad consensus. And that's it, right? We want people that stick in the broad consensus that, that don't try and, you know, take a blowtorch to anything mm -hmm. because there's really not that much in society that should be have a blowtorch taken to it. And as long as our candidates stay within the guardrails, as long as they're focused on local issues and local representation, uh, we think we can make it work. Couple things here. Uh, first of all, starting off with guardrails, you you bring up that term a couple times here. Um, what does that mean in terms of guardrails? Is that is that the uh, the free people, the thriving community, and and um, the vibrant democracy that uh, Lisa talked about? Well, it's uh, you know, so if you're starting a new party, you know, Ross Perot started the party based on the deficit. Mm -hmm. uh, there were parties started based on segregation. You know, there have been parties started on single issues, mm -hmm. and we are a little different. We are a party started on a process. The idea that democratic capitalism, that you know, democracy is a process that, if we do it right, does pull in the interests of the whole of the population and reaches the best answer for the best num you know, most number of people. So it's, it's absolutely a little harder to be process-focused and not ideology-focused. There's no two ways about that. But the, the guardrails are a way of making sure that our candidates do stay focused on process and don't get pulled into the ideological part of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, talking about, uh, you know, global uh, climate change, uh, you're not going to be part of the discussion at the US, United Senate, uh, U.S. Senate about carbon taxes. But you as a school board official could maybe do, uh, you know, um, Latin, L, L, uh, natural gas powered buses or mm -hmm. so so that's it right there right we want people to avoid the extremes stay focused on their community and and really put their attention on making their world better their local world better and as long as we do that we think we've got a pretty good chance of you know again keeping people kind of uh, where they need to be for us all to be able to get along because what will pull the forward party apart is that we take one extreme or the other you know right. we cannot do that we have to be the middle party 
And the forward party is uh, planning to have a convention next summer. And I would think there will be some things that are national-based issues that will have to be evaluated and, and conversations had and, and com you know, coming to conclusions. And that's where we see that. But really, the, the next two years, we're focusing on the local com communities and, and building out the party from the grassroots, from the bottom up. Well, I'm going to skip ahead a couple of questions here because I was going to, now that we've kind of gotten onto this topic here about issues, um, I'll give you a challenge here a little bit. And it's kind of a long-winded question, so please excuse me. Uh, political parties, you know, for all their bad rap, uh, do serve a purpose in our society. And I learned this when talking to uh, Lee Drutman, who's a political scientist uh, out of University of California, Berkeley, and also a senior fellow at the uh, political reform movement at New America. And he wrote a book, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, it's called The, the, uh, the Two-Party Doom Loop, the subtitle being The Case for Multi-Party Democracy in America. And in this book, he, he describes parties as being a necessary evil, and because they're necessary because they can boil down the complexities of running a government into simple concepts that people can, can, uh, can support. It serves a purpose because you know, most people simply don't have the time to understand all the issues. So in a way, we allow a party to speak for us. And my apologies to Lee Drutman if I got that wrong. Hopefully he can correct me if that's the case. Uh, now, the reason I bring this up is because, you know, I think that Lee Drutman had a valid point. Parties do need a platform. It, it, it's the ingredient that people look for when evaluating whether the party is worthy of their support. I mean, I talk to people, you know, I used to do a lot of work for the Alliance Party. And when I talk to people about the Alliance Party, the first thing they say is, well, where do you stand on gun control or something like that? And those are good questions, they're valid questions. And there were, they were questions I really didn't have an answer for because it's like, oh, well, it depends. You know, that was sort of the, the, the approach of the Alliance Party at that point. And the conversation is almost over at that point. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned. Uh, you know, I read one a quote from the Forward Party. It said, the Forward Party will be a place that celebrates diverse viewpoints and creativity, allowing everyone to chart their own path. And it will focus on uniting people around common sense solutions. Well, the problem with common sense solutions is that everybody has a different opinion as what what constitutes common sense. So at some point, it seems to me that the forward party is going to have to forge some sort of planks in a platform, so take some sort of a stand on position. And I agree, you don't want to be extremist about it, you know, uh, but you can take a position on an issue party wide for the most part and still be a, a cohesive party. And yes, you can tolerate some sense of deviation. Uh, going back to Lee Drutman's book, he talked about uh, what the political parties were doing back in the 50s and 60s. They were kind of, they were conservative Democrats and there were progressive Republicans. So you know, there's room there's room for both types of attitudes. So, or at least there used to be. There used to be, exactly. So um, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, I'll go to Blake first. Well, you know, and it's not easy, right? I mean, it's easy to say, hey, let's come up with a common sense solution to gun control. Uh, but some think some people think the common sense is that everybody should be armed. And some people think common sense is nobody should be armed. But even on an issue like that, there is pretty broad agreement in the middle. You know, most Americans, you know, do believe that the right to own a gun is something that's in our Constitution. And thus, we should have the right to have a gun in the home. Uh, most Americans are terrified at the movement toward casual carry, that you can just put a gun in your pocket and walk out of your house if you feel like it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, most Americans would like to see uh, 
without getting too deep into the uh, the assault rifle question. Mm-hmm. Uh, most Americans would like to see it maybe be a little bit harder for an 18-year-old to buy a, a, a semi-automatic rifle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we accept the fact that, you know, Americans, if you look at the Second Amendment, it says the right to bear arms. It doesn't say guns. How come we can't get howitzers? How come a person can't get a, a suitcase nuclear bomb? Right. And you look at the, the text, I should be able to have a new ca- new suitcase nuclear bomb. But even within that, we've managed to come up with a, a pretty good compromise. You know, we don't allow um, citizens to buy machine guns. Most of uh, our history, we have not allowed open carry or even concealed carry without permit. You know, we, we have historically reached a compromise on those issues. But part of what's happened is the extremes, the extremists that matter so much to one party, they pulled us away from that common sense uh, answer. So we're not going to be able to say definitively, here's our position on guns. But we can say the boundaries for us, the guardrails for us are we we do believe the Second Amendment was put in the Constitution for a reason. And, you know, if you think people have uh, nations have character and I do. You know, arguably, the United States was founded by cranky, distrustful people. And some of those cranky, distrustful people will always feel better if they've got a gun in the home. We're not going to try and take away the gun. But conversely, I think a lot of people agree that it's a little disconcerting to see somebody walk down the street with a submachine gun or a semi-automatic rifle. You know, and so we can find those guardrails. We can put up the boundaries. Within that, there are going to be variations. Maybe it's a, a, you know, a more strict concealed carry law versus a less strict concealed carry law. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can uh, walk out of the home with a pistol in your pocket, but uh, not a grenade launcher. I don't know, right? right. But, but we have managed to find compromise before, and the guardrails, we think, will help us do that on the issues. Okay. Any thoughts, Lisa? Well, if you look at our country, it's very diverse. Uh, you look at te- what... What's good for Texas is not necessarily good for Missouri, not necessarily good for Connecticut. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a, a matter of recognizing that. And as Blake said, having the range of possibilities and, and the thing that that really draws me to the party is, you know, it'll be based on facts. It'll be based on science. It'll be based on the things that make sense and that we can all agree on. And and to me, that that makes, uh, I think, an excellent platform to, to go forward with. Okay. So to your point, right, if the only thing you care about is the fact that you should have a, a, a semi-automatic rifle, you're probably not gonna be a forward party person. If you are tied into one of those extremes or one of those extreme issues, it's very unlikely we're gonna be able to pull you away. But the reality is that most people are not tied into those extreme issues. Most people do see something generally in the middle, and most people think our society works better when we're generally in the middle. Yeah. Good point. Okay. So um, there are two major parties in power at the moment that have done a tremendous disfavor, in my opinion, by enslaving people, speaking of issues, enslaving people to the issues that get them to focus on the issues and not really on the big picture. And uh, they've undermined, in, in, my, in, my, in my opinion, they've undermined a sense of fair play in economic, cultural, and social matters, and most disastrously destroyed confidence in the government. I mean, that, that to me is a huge thing. And when you destroy confidence in the government, it really opens the door to extremism. You know? And dare I say, in this case, I think you know, there's a significant uh, force in this nation drifting, uh, drifting toward fascism in, in the form of Christian nationalism. Assuming the forward party makes some serious inroads to our government, uh, what's the overall game plan to fix America and restore trust in our government? You know, there are no big answers, right? 
you know, everybody wants this, you know, magic solution. We're going to do this one thing. It's going to fix everything. Sure. That's not the way the world works, right? Good government is the cumulative impact of tens of thousands of small decisions and small policies. And so what's going to happen is it's going to, we're going to come back toward the center the way we went toward the extremes gradually. We'll fix a little bit here. We'll fix a little bit in St. Louis. We'll fix a little bit in, in Texas. And, and as we start fixing those little problems, they will eventually have a cumulative impact. And to your point, you know, uh, you can make an argument that the Republican Party purposely undermined confidence in government because they wanted less government. But as people see government work the way it should work, they'll, they'll gradually have more confidence in it again. Because it is a truism that Americans want government to get out of our way, mm -hmm. but we also want government to have our back. And we can get back to that model. We didn't leave that model because it wasn't working. We left that model because that model made it harder for the extremists in both parties to take power. You know, I, I think when we start seeing those elections become un truly contested elections, competitive elections, I think then people are going to feel like they're more represented in yep in that democracy is working for them, that they have more opportunity to be part of the, the solution and, and be part of the, the overall fabric of our country. Okay. Yeah, I brought up something a while ago. I said number one, and I went on to talk about number one. I never got to number two, because, but I, know, I just remembered because you reminded me, Lisa, with your answer here, um, how to fix the government in the sense that we can have a competitive third party because right now the way the, the the way that elections work, it's it's um, uh, what they call a pluralistic sort of election, first past the post or whatever. It naturally, if you look at it mathematically, it becomes a two-party system mm -hmm. by definition, simply by the way that you vote. So, what would be the forward party's uh, stance on things like uh, ranked choice voting or open primaries or something like that? Um, Anybody want to go for this one? Yeah, ranked choice voting, all of the those types of electoral reforms that allow more than two parties to be competitive and statistically allow for more than two parties to compete is is part of our platform and is definitely one of the major emphasis we're putting uh, resources and time and, and effort, and especially these next two years as we're building the party. Okay. And Lisa Murkowski is just a great example. You know, just won her primary in, in Alaska. Uh, it is, you know, it's ranked choice, right? Right. Yep. Ranked choice and, and open primary. Open right. primary. Yeah. Right. And, you know, so the net effect was that she was able to, you know, really kind of strike an independent voice for Alaska and do what people of Alaska needed. She was not tied into the party. And I, uh, you know, I was doing something in healthcare IT when Obamacare was passed. And it was amazing because... You know, I think you know this, but Obamacare was actually invented by the Heritage Foundation, one of the most conservative organizations in the United States. It was the best guess at how we maintain a free market health care system. Hmm. And so, so the politics of it were terrible because the Democrats stole the Republicans' best idea. They introduced it. And early on, the Republicans were actually introducing, uh, you know, amendments to try and improve Obamacare. And then word came down from uh, McConnell don't do anything. And literally, uh, literally, we were talking to aides one day and the next day, we, we can't talk to you anymore. We're told we're not going to offer any more amendments. And so what happened was, instead of making the Affordable Care Act a better bill, 
The Republicans did everything they could to make sure it failed, even though it was their idea. Yeah. And that's the kind of extremism that happens. There was another recent example with the, uh, the burn pit bill. Everybody supported the burn pit bill, but the Republicans got annoyed that their Democrats were doing other things, and so they played politics with it. And so over and over again, both parties play politics with the issues and with things that our country needs. Yeah. You could be for or against an issue, but that doesn't mean you're going to solve the issue. No. And so the challenge is, because people are tied into the party structure, you can't go against Mitch McConnell. You can't go against Chuck Schumer. You have to do what they want you to do in that caucus. Otherwise, they hold back the funding. They hold back the, uh, the positions. You know, and so essentially, it becomes these, these little fiefdoms. And if you want to play in that fiefdom, you've got to do things their way. Yeah. So even if you think there were things that could have been improved of Obamacare, you don't say anything and you let a bad bill or not a bad bill, but not as good of a bill be passed just because your leader told you we want this to fail so the Democrats fail. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, uh, as I said, I had some experience with the Alliance Party. One of the things that struck me there was they they did not plan to have a whip in the Congress. So there's not someone standing there. You know, the whip is the person that actually whips people into shape, right? Yep. And it gets everybody on the same page. Um, that is very detrimental because it makes the party very, very monolithic. And um, it, it, it can really, uh, as you say, you, you get one one person like Mitch McConnell can, can really destroy it for everybody. Even if he's not in a majority, he can still destroy things by using the... the, the uh, You're talking about... Um the, the need for 60 votes to uh, yeah, yeah. The filibuster. The filibuster, right. there it is. Yeah. The filibuster. It was a weird name. Closure is uh, closing it. Yeah. How about this? How do you, how does the forward party get around or avoid the stigma of being a spoiler? And this comes up every time I hear about third parties. People say, you're stealing votes. You're stealing votes from the Democrats. You're stealing votes from the Republicans. And there, there may be some truth of that in a plurality type of system because uh, as we talked before we before we went on the air here, we were just talking, and, and, and one of the things I mentioned was that, yes, you have a lot of independence in between Democrats and Republicans. In fact, Democrats and Republicans hovering right around 25 to 30 percent apiece. So it gives you like 50 percent independence out there. But when they go into the polling place, they go into the booth, they fill in that circle for an R or for a D because they're not voting so much for someone, they're voting against someone. So here comes the forward party or any third party, call it the Green Party, Libertarians or whatever. They come in here, they put their candidates, they put their issues forward. But at the end of the day, people look at that as you're stealing votes. So how would the forward party get around this or how do they maybe not get around it, but sort of reportray it in a way that is more palatable for people? Yeah, well, you know, absolutely right. So, you know, the harsh reality of the winner take all system is that a third party sometimes shifts the balance and causes another party to win. But the fact of the matter is, the system is already spoiled. You know, we've got a political system here in Missouri, the uh, you know Republican senatorial choice, uh, Eric Schmidt, taking a blowtorch to things. He's, yeah. he's yeah. A, an attorney who understands the law, but still sued the state of China. He's pulling these stunts. Yeah. So really what's spoiled is the two-party system that we have. But, but, our, but again, one of the reasons we want to start at the bottom is because if we've got a forward candidate in a previously uncontested race, we're not spoiling the race for the other party. We're just giving people a second option. And so if you think about our ground up strategy, that's one of the ways we avoid being a spoiler early on is because we're running in these races that don't have 
democratic representation. We're trying to expand the number of candidates available. And, and there will be a time, I hope, when a forward party candidate gets enough votes to, to shift it from a Republican or a Democrat, but we're a long ways away from that. And starting with the local grassroots campaigns, a lot of times the, the party's irrelevant. And because of that, that if we get our grassroots through the through the the local races, we become second nature. Everybody accepts it, and and as it grows and gets bigger, then then it's not thought of as a spoiler. It's like we've been here, mm-hmm. and uh, yep. it's we're we're not new to the game. Yeah, well, people are used to seeing yeah. you on the ballot, right? Then. Exactly. But I, 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 yeah, I do think that RCV is extremely important in this yes. in this situation as well because that can really um, level the playing field in many ways. And, and, that, I think, and that's part of it. That's yeah. part of our plan. Are, are you? Uh, what, what sort of um, activity are you, t- are you taking right now in terms of RCV for in, in terms of Missouri here? Well, I've I have reached out to both um, RCV organizations and just started the conversation like i said it's been a been literally a month since we've announced the merger but i definitely have taken the steps and and plan to understand and and figure out how can we form that alliance to help them if they you know if we go through and and try to pass it this next cycle okay yeah that was one of the issues is they they tried to put it on the the ballot uh they fell short of the signatures right uh and i would assume they're going to try again next year and probably start a little earlier and obviously get more people involved but you know that's it uh, we think people are getting fed up with the way things are going and you know ranked choice voting isn't a once again it's not a magic bullet but it does shake things up and it, it, it breaks some of those extreme alliances and gives you know more people a chance to have a reasonable choice i mean if you think about it our districts are set now for the next eight years how, how do we change that do we wait another eight years for the another chance to change how the districts are drawn or what can we do now and i think the the ranked choice voting is is a great example of how we can get things changed for the better for a better democracy now yeah there's an organization called fair vote i don't know if you've heard of them but one of the one of the concepts that they push is uh, what they call multi-winner districts so you take some of these smaller districts that have been highly gerrymandered let's say you take three of them and you merge them into one and then all three of them uh, almost act as a single uh, district, but they elect three representatives. Huh. And if you use something like ranked choice voting or something like that, mm-hmm. you can get around a lot of the uh, limitations of, of uh, gerrymandering that way. Yeah. The it's, state of Washington does that at this point with some of their districts. And it's also worth noting that if we can get the forward party on the ballot in all 50 states, you know, to a degree, even without ranked choice voting, that's given everybody... 54, 50% more choices, right? Suddenly yeah. we've got a third candidate there. And so it is breaking the duopoly. And as you say, it's got the challenge of nobody wants to be a spoiler. But if we build from the ground up, if we get rational people taking local offices and, and slowly filtering up through the system and building rain, name recognition and, and trust, you know, there will be a viable third party on the, the ballot. And that will give people at least one more choice, even without ranked choice voting. So speaking of uh, overall goals, um, Let's get down to specifics and talk about the overall goals for the for the party. You talk about you know having a lot of people on the ballot for the next uh, for the obviously we're too late for the twenty twenty two election, but for the next election, um, what is uh, what's the plan there in terms of uh, specific plans about getting people on the ballot? Getting getting as you said 
uh, on the ballot in 50 states. Is that one of the goals by 2024? And if so, uh, is there a goal in terms of the number of representatives or senators or whatever it is that the county councilmen or whatever that you have in mind for uh, 2024? Uh, we, uh, you know, the 50 state goal is a goal. It's probably not realistic in two years just because there have been so many efforts to keep third parties from getting on the ballots in some states. Mm -hmm. And we're frankly hesitant to name numbers. You know, our, our goal would be to have a good handful of people in every state where we've gotten on the ballot. That could be as little as five to 10. If we get, uh, you know, a great state, it could be, you know, 50 to 100. But, but at the end of the day, it needs to be organic. We, we don't want to force people into running for positions, not that we could, but into positions they don't want to run for, right? We want to find people that are passionate about their community, passionate about making things better, and, and want to put themselves out there. Because at the end of the day, running for office is a, a job, you know, and it's a painful job a lot of the time. So we want dedicated, committed people. And if that means that we only wind up with 10 candidates in uh, 2020, you know, four here in Missouri, as long as they're dedicated and as long as they do a good job, that'll be fine. What's an interesting phenomenon in the short term is we're seeing uh, currently elected officials who are switching to the forward party. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, we, we do have a short term goal by the end of next uh, by the end of next year to have 500 elected officials across the country, across the country mm -hmm. um, as far as state states recognized parties uh, by the end of next year, we'd like to have about 20 mm -hmm. uh, state recognized parties and um, like yeah. like uh, Blake said, it. it we want, we are focusing on getting all 50 states, but it probably will be after the 2024 cycle before we can get to that point. Yeah. Are you guys familiar with Teresa Amato at all? She wrote a book called Grand Illusion. I forgot what the subtitle is on that one, but she was the uh, campaign manager for Ralph Nader. You mentioned Ralph Nader earlier. I actually got to talk to him on, on, a, on a different podcast. Interesting uh, guy. Yeah, he, very brilliant man, and it really uh, was really pleased to be able to talk with him. But... Um, she was his campaign manager for the 2000 and 2004 election, uh, presidential election, and she went through all those battles with every single state trying to get Ralph Nader on the ballot. And, um, you know, you, if you think the Democrats are good guys, if you think the Republicans are good guys, read this book. It'll scare the you know what out of yeah, you because yeah. they will fight you tooth and nail to maintain their their kingdom. Their, their, their high castle walls. Uh, in Missouri here, now I, I have read the, um, the, the guidelines in Missouri here, actually is fairly progressive in my opinion. You only need 10,000 signatures. From anywhere in the state. From anywhere in the state. Yeah. Wait till Moleg here, Missouri legislature hears about that. They'll shut that down right away. Just like they're trying to shut down uh, um, Initiative uh, initiatives and, and referendums, yeah. But uh, at this point, it's 10,000 signatures. I think it's pretty easy to do. If you read Teresa's book, you'll probably say maybe you need 17 to 20,000 signatures because they're going to get challenged. But um, that, I think, would be pretty easy to do. Do you know of any states that would be difficult? Well, some of them are like two or 300,000 people you know, across different districts. Mm -hmm. So there are some states that have made it pretty hard to get on the ballot. Uh, was it Pennsylvania or a couple of the East Coast states are just egregious? And and they're very tight 
calendar windows that yeah. you have to do things yeah. and they make it they make it quite a few hoops to jump through and i don't know any of the specific states other than missouri but just listening in our meetings that it it is it, some of some of them will take several years to get yeah yeah we had an interview with one of the guys who is actually running for governor of minnesota um, his name escapes me at this point, but he's on our podcast a few weeks ago. I apologize for that if I forgot your name. But he had like a three-week window to get, um, I don't know how many thousands of signatures. He pulled it off. I mean, it was it's amazing to find people like that. But, um, yeah, I, I, think, I think states like Missouri should be pretty easy to do. But there's going to be some real challenges out there. So. Uh, and speaking of of, of uh, challenges, what are the local goals? I mean, how many how many people do you have signed up here in Missouri? Do you know? Or so um, with the the merger of the three organizations, plus since the since the announcement of the merger, we are about at twenty two hundred supporters, mm-hmm. um, one hundred and thirty uh, volunteers that that have been a available with the original three organizations and that's uh, what we're using to to launch Um, the forward party is going to start a listening tour um, at the end of september and st louis will be one of the cities um, that's slated to to come and have a listening tour with the leaders of the of the forward party to to allow opportunities to learn more and Mm -hmm. get more uh into the Missouri knowledgeable, you know, get people knowledgeable what the Ford Party is about. Okay. In fact, I was going to ask you about that. I know they're having a multi-city tour starting off pretty pretty soon. They're starting off in Houston. I know the date for Houston has been nailed down at this point, but how about any other cities? So we're we're still anxiously awaiting the announcement for the other cities and um, just, just have to keep your eye on on the social media and our webpage, um, but I would expect in the next week or two that that'll be announced. Okay. And it, it's one of the first five, so I'm thinking it'll be sometime the beginning of October. There'll be the listening tour will come to St. Louis. Oh, good. Okay. Well, I'll, will um, will Andrew Yang be part of that uh, group? Do you I think? I believe so. Oh, good. You can set me up with an interview for him. <laughs> I'd love to do that. Yeah. Um, so what can people do to get involved? Speaking of volunteers out there, what do, what do people do at this point to get involved, not only in Missouri, but o- across the nation? What should they be doing? Well, we have a website where you can um, sign, sign up and, and tell them what state you're from, what types of activities you'd be interested in, and uh, we'll, we'll get you in the database. We're planning some um, meetings to statewide meetings to to get people interest that in Missouri that are interested and in how we're going to roll it out here in Missouri and how they could, could be involved. So uh, we'll we'll be having several of those uh, types of meetings as well as volunteer meetings and and really starting to field candidates understand you know get the word out if anybody's interested in running for some local office we definitely are interested in in getting that information but go to the forwardparty.com sign up and and let us know you know that you're from missouri and that you're interested in in getting involved with with what we're trying to do here okay that's forward party is one word right no hyphens no underscores forwardparty.com forwardparty.com good um, any final thoughts? Uh, I'll start with you, Blake. Any final thoughts about uh, what's going on and uh, uh, talk about the level of excitement for the forward party and what your plans are? And, and uh, 
anything you, any wisdom you can pass along to the rest of us absolutely well and you know as we mentioned this briefly but you know if you look at our history you know you can look at u.s history as a battle between two extremes and one of those was the idea of socialism the other was the idea of unregulated capitalism and our country reached a compromise in the 1930s called democratic capitalism we stick with the free market but we use democracy to ensure everybody participates everybody gets in the game and everybody plays by the same set of rules and and what has happened is that because socialism has failed so abjectly we stop paying attention to the compromise and we stop doing those things we need to do as a country to ensure equality of opportunity we need to get back to democratic capitalism when when forward talks about process that's what we're talking about there are no golden answers there is no magic you know oracle in the sky telling you what to do answers come from people that care listening to each other talking and reaching a compromise we need to get back to compromise in this country that is our path forward any uh, final thoughts from you lisa well the the forward party what it represents to me is an opportunity to really take a look at our society and our communities and understand you know what the issues are and then putting the ideologies aside and really focusing on what the solutions are using fact-based you know review and compromise and uh, you know being able to work those those issues out that's what it really speaks to me and why i'm involved in the forward party okay we've been talking with lisa douglas and blake ashby uh, who are the state coordinators for the state of missouri for the forward party lisa and blake thank you for spending time and talking about the forward party today on democracy on the move thank you very much thank you You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its true principles of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org slash contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Ray Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead, and we hope you tune in again next week. <laughs>